again, I just want to take the, this opportunity to uh, tell you I appreciate your uh, participation in this type of worship, whether you're on site or uh, or online. We're grateful to have you with us. So. We're uh, in a new series. Well, it's well, this is the second part of, of this series we're, uh, we're involved in today. Uh, this series is called Signs. Um, unanswered prayers, by the way. If you have, we're going to talk about this today. Unanswered prayers uh, get a lot of people uh, stuck. They, our wheels start spinning in our spiritual lives when, when our prayers aren't answered. Uh, particularly if they're not answered the way we expect them to be answered or, you know, as if, you know, Jesus didn't really pay attention to the directions we gave him. I, I don't think there's anybody who's ever prayed who has not experienced Jesus doing something besides what we asked. Right? Uh, Jesus often doesn't do what we ask him to do when we ask him to do it and how we ask him to do it. And some people are stuck, thinking, well, it, Jesus is okay, but, you know, that's all well and good, because I'm okay too. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no need for me to change him. He doesn't answer prayer like I think he ought to answer prayer, so, you know, I'll live, let him live and expect him to let me live. I just... They're stuck somewhere out there. They know enough to be aware of Jesus, but not enough to love Him. And then there are people who've been Christians and been in the church for a long time, and they're dragging their heels, refusing to really surrender their lives to Jesus as their King, because they think that since Jesus didn't do what they ask Him to do, when he, they ask Him to do it, and how they ask Him to do it, that uh, they can't really trust him. Uh, I mean, after all, he doesn't take directions very well. So that brings us to this interesting question, whether you're uh, not a really a follower of Jesus, or if you are a follower of Jesus, who's kind of, in either case, you're kind of stuck. You know, what, what can we do? What, what do we do when Jesus doesn't do what we ask him to do when we ask him to do it and how we ask him to do it. What do we do when he doesn't follow directions very well? Well, the father of a sick son uh, may have asked the very same questions in the middle of the event we're going to look at today. This is an event from Jesus' life recorded by uh, John in what we call the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, verses 46 to 52. But you know, we're jumping in in the middle of the story of Jesus' life. Well, not quite the middle, uh, but toward the beginning of Jesus' life, stuff has happened. So let me give you a quick backstory. Uh, we're, we're not even at the beginning of chapter 4. So at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus went through a village in Samaria on his way home from the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Uh, something you need to know about the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. 
And by that, I mean, if the entire Samaritan race were to drop dead on one day, the Jews would have probably had a party. And the same would have been true the other way around. They not only were ethnically different, they were, well, they were ethnically cousins. And they were religiously cousins. And so they had arguments over who really was a descendant of Israel and Jacob or Jacob and who really is worshiping God the way God deserves to be worshiped. Okay. You know, there are things you don't talk about. Religion and politics are part of those things. I want to advise you also not to bring up ethnic issues. Unless you want to get into some interesting conversations. Here you got two, these, these people couldn't stand each other because of their religion and because of their ethnicity. It was such a bad thing. There was so much bitterness and long-standing tension between these two groups that most Jews who lived in Galilee, the northern part of uh, Palestine, uh, where Jesus lived and where he grew up, most of them would go way out of their way to avoid going through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. They would cross the Jordan River, go down and come back across the Jordan River, crossing the river. You know, it's, it's bad enough when the bridge is up in this town. None of us in this room remember the days when there were no bridges across that river. But when there are no bridges across the river, you got to go way out of your way to find a place where you can get across. And then way out of your way to find a way. And the Jews where Jesus grew up and where he lived would just soon go way out of their way as to be around Samaritans. And then Jesus, as he often did, ignored all the cultural norms and went... Right straight, he took the shortest route. And he went and he stopped at a little village in Samaria. He avoided, he ignored all the cultural norms and he went through Samaria and he stopped in Samaria and he had a conversation. He broke another big rule. He talked to a woman in public. I mean, men wouldn't even talk to their wives in public. They might possibly, if they were still young, talk to their moms. But even then, it was a stretch. And Jesus carries on a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And then, when they asked him if he would stay, he said, sure. I'd love to. And he stayed for a couple of days. Now, that brings us to where we are now. He finally returns to Galilee where he had grown up. It's kind of like his home county. Yes. I just remembered, I forgot to put a picture up there. I'm sorry, but you just, you can, most of you can remember this. On our way home from Indiana, our family has a landmark or two that says we're almost home. And it's the Bronner sign with the Santa Claus. There are two of them. The first one we go, oh, we're almost there. Second one, we're getting closer. And then, of course, there's the Zilwaukee Bridge. 
All right, that's, those are the mile markers. It, when we're heading home, we know we're getting close. I don't know what the mile markers were for Jesus was he's going back to Galilee, but there had to be something. Because he's getting back into Galilee, his home county, so to speak. The home, his home area. So, John chapter 4. There we go. John chapter 4, verses 46 to 52. Um, once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So Jesus returned to the hills of Galilee. And he went back to the little town of Cana, which wasn't far from the town where he grew up in Nazareth. It was about 20 miles from Capernaum. Galilee's hill country, Capernaum was down in the valley right next to the Sea of Galilee. 20 miles by foot. Can't just hop in the car and go. Gotta walk there. This father found out Jesus was back in Galilee but it tells us in verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, come back from Jerusalem, he went to him and begged him to heal his son who was close to death. So this royal official, uh, this uh, powerful man, and his son lived in the 20 miles away, and he's traveled two days to get to Jesus, climbing up out of the valley into the hills and finding Jesus in this little town of Cana, and he's asking him to beg and begging Jesus to save him. He's desperate uh, to save his child. He'll do anything, and he's heard this guy can help, and so he's come, and he wanted Jesus to follow him back to the family home and heal his son. He wanted Jesus to drop everything and hurry home with him. And Jesus says to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, I just want to pause and think about this for a moment. Signs point to something, to some place or someone. They are not the destination. When our family sees the Bronner sign with Santa Claus, we are not home. We're getting there. We're not at Bronner's either. <laughs> We're on I-75 at the exit. That's where the, the Frankenmuth exit is. That's where that first one is, in case you don't remember. <laughs> we know. We're afraid. But we're not even at Frankenmuth. We're still on I-75 by a sign that says you're getting there. Signs are things that are point to the destination, to the ultimate place. They, they are not the destination. However, it is our human tendency to make the miracles of Jesus' kingdom and his presence with us our target. It, it is our tendency as human beings to want the blessings, the surprises, the miracles. And that's the reason Jesus responds to this man the way he does. 
Just a gentle reminder, hey, signs are important, but they're not where we need to go. They're just to point you to where we need to go. Now this father could not take no for an answer, so he says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, Go. You're not following directions very well, Jesus. I said, come down to my house to heal my son. And Jesus says, go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Hmm. Jesus spoke with a sense of authority. Here's this royal official. I don't know what his official title was, but I'm pretty sure he was used to telling people what to do, and they did what he told them to do. And then he finds this uh, carpenter slash rabbi who has a reputation for bringing healing to people. And when he tells him to come to my house, you know, this is like an official, you can't really refuse to do this invitation. And he issues this come command. This carpenter turns around and goes, you go on home. Your son will be fine. And the man, there's something about the way Jesus spoke. I mean, this guy has traveled two days to get here. But when Jesus said, go, your son will be well, there's something about the way Jesus said it. This man took Jesus at his word. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him. So his servants meet him part way as he's on there. They're running to tell him. They get, and I'm pretty sure, you know, I don't know, if it had been me, if I saw people coming toward me and I had left home and my son was sick and nearly dead, I would assume that they're coming to tell me he didn't make it. Imagine his surprise when they said, your boy is fine. Your boy is living. And so the, the father inquires, uh, and it says, at what time did my son start getting better? And they said to him, uh, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Wow. So he and his whole house believed. Mm. Not in signs, but in Jesus. The sign pointed them to him. And John concludes by saying this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. The first one was when he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. So what about us? What do we do when Jesus doesn't do what we ask him to do, when we ask him to do it, the way we ask him to do it? I think if we could bring this father here with us that we just read about, 
I believe this father with a sick son would say, you can take Jesus at his word. Jesus did not do what the father asked him to do, but his reply was all that that desperate dad needed. Hmm. Jesus often doesn't do what we ask him to do, but we can take him at his word. You know, he doesn't take instructions very well because, well, he is, after all, literally the king of kings and lord of lords, the ultimate authority in and beyond the universe and all of creation. So you, he's large and in charge, to borrow the <laughs> phrase. He's not required to take directions from us. Now, whether we're stuck before we really dig into a true investigation of who Jesus is, or we're stuck in those opening stages of following Jesus, uh, to take him at his word when he doesn't do what we ask him to do requires paradigm shifts changes in the way we think. Uh, on one hand, we need a whole new self-concept. We need to change the way we look at ourselves. What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. We need to stop thinking that we know what needs to happen, when it needs to happen, and how it needs to happen. <laughs> and recognize that there's a real possibility we don't know everything. And we don't really have our act together. So on one hand, we need to change our self-concept. On the other hand, we need a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, we need enough humility to admit that uh, we don't know everything and that we need to begin, on the, on the other hand, to acknowledge that what we ask Jesus to do may not happen because he's got a better plan. Or there's a whole lot more involved than what we assume there is. And we need to shift our trust and confidence to Jesus instead of to our own just sense of what needs to happen. We need to stop thinking we know and recognize that he knows a whole lot that we don't know. See, his kingdom invades and restores our broken world. He is constantly at work in our world, in our nation, in our families, and in our lives to fix us. We are broken. Mm. It's so easy to think everybody else is broken and we're just kind of like, well, maybe stressed. We're not just stressed. If you're a human being, you are broken. Now if that upsets you, my email address is pastormartinhaines at gmail.com. That literally is my email address. You can send me an email and tell me that you're mad at me for saying you're broken. Then we can talk. Because I'm broken too. He's always at work trying to restore and to mend. And sometimes he does it in ways that we expect. 
Sometimes he says, okay, I'll come on down there and heal your son. Sometimes he says, go on. It's just the right time it's going to happen. So if you're stuck, what can you do to get moving? What can you do to get moving? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that today's sermon in a sentence, and that is, let's gaze on Jesus' cross-shaped love. But what do I mean by that? Think about Jesus on the cross. That's what it looks like when the King of Kings comes to rule in our world. Now, see, we're used to kings with big armies that make us do what, it, what they want us to do. We're, we're used to, 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 to leaders who, who boss us around. We're, we're used to people exercising power. And here's the one with all power, and he shows up and lets us nail him to a cross. That's what it looks like when the king shows up. Gaze on the cross shaped love of Jesus. He did not die on that cross because he was weak and poor. He died on that cross because he loves us. So, let me give you three practical ideas to say let's gaze on the cross. That can sound kind of mystical. <coughs> Mysterious. How do you do that? I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. So here, here are three, three practical ways that you, we can start doing that. One is to read or listen to the accounts of Jesus' passion and his crucifixion. There are four really good records of it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you want to know how important it is? The biggest portion of those three records of Jesus' life detail the last days of his life. I mean, there are whole things left out. Like, what did he do for the first 30 years before he showed up? He was a carpenter. He built things. That's all I can tell you. I mean, I assume he did. It would be kind of hard to provide for his family if he didn't. You know, mom and his brothers and sisters and dad and all the taking... That was his job as the firstborn to take care of the family. Yeah, he had to build stuff. He was a carpenter. But other than that, I have no idea. From the time he was 12 in the temple to the time he was 30 or so when he showed up at the Jordan River for John to baptize him, we have absolutely no idea what he did. There have been all kinds of weird stories. <laughs> weird stories. So what we do? Read. And listen to those counts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read and or listen to them. That's, that, I would suggest to you, is like the best and first thing we ought to do. The second thing that might help is watch a movie like The Passion of the Christ. It's a movie... So there will be things that aren't quite like what's in the 
records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every single movie I've ever seen about Jesus, there's been stuff I've gone, okay, there took a little license there. Uh, part of that is because when I read, I do a movie in my head. And so when the movie doesn't match my movie, I'm, you know. So you can watch a movie or movies about Jesus' passion. Uh, but then I would encourage you to discuss your observations and your thoughts as you, if you, as you read about and think about Jesus' cross, the death on the cross for us. I would encourage you to find a couple of people, two or three, or you know, depending on how extroverted you are, and, and find to talk to them on the phone. Since we need to do the distancing issue, you can talk to them on the phone. Or, or this is a great day to stand outside, six feet apart. Viruses will freeze in the air, and just fall on the ground. All right, my daughter's looking at me going, that's not really good information. Yeah. The joys of having a daughter who's in public health. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, get together some way, shape, or form, safely, warmly, and, and talk about it together. Talk about your observations of what Jesus did, how his love prompted him to go to the cross for us. He didn't have to do that. There is nothing that says God has to die for us. Nothing. But he did. Because he loves us. Now I know we are really good Protestants. Because about seven-eighths of you are already on Sunday morning going, he's, up, he's alive again. It didn't, you know, you're right, he didn't last, but he really was dead. His love for us is shaped like a cross, not like an empty tomb. The empty tomb just puts the seal of approval on the cross. So, we need to gaze on the cross, on the love, the cross-shaped love of Jesus. We need to think about it and focus our attention on it and allow it to begin to shape the way we think and act. <clears throat> and we, we can do that by listening to the accounts, watching uh, movies like The Passion of the Christ, and discussing our observations with each other. I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's talk to Jesus about gazing at his love and his cross. Dear Jesus, <coughs> King of kings and Lord of lords, Master, Savior, Prince of Peace, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing, the all-wise, 
We have a problem with the cross, with your cross. It's those of us who are religious want miracles and power. But you appear to be so weak and helpless as you die. The, the more intellectually minded of us, the, 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 the want answers, we want wisdom and truth. We we want uh, our, we want to know reasons. But your death on the cross seems so senseless. There surely had to be an easier way. There had to be another way. But Jesus, you offer us all the cross. First, last, and always. You give us the cross. It's a stumbling block for some of us, for many of us. As we gaze on your cross, it seems like some, both your power and your wisdom are missing. But that, your power and your love and your wisdom is what led you to that cross. And that doesn't make any sense to us. And you know we prefer not to dwell on suffering. We want to charge ahead to Easter morning, Sunday morning. You are. We don't need to say this. We don't say it lightly. You are the strangest king we've ever encountered. A king that would die for his rebellious subjects. You, you sacrificed your life to conquer our enemies. You endured suffering, pain, and rejection to show your love for us. You became a slave to save us from our brokenness and to set us free from our chains. Your cross reminds us that things are always darkest just before they go pitch black. And then in that dark blackness, the truth comes out. The truth that our power, or our wisdom, our smarts are never enough. Never. We discover that we need to rely solely on you. So Jesus, keep us close to the cross. Take us to the cross and break us out of our ruts. Set us free to begin to ask questions and to learn about you and be willing to, to change our thinking and our actions in response to who you are. 
break us out of our ruts so that we recognize that you really are the King of Kings and we can trust you because no one else loves us like you do. Come and do in us and through us what only you can do. Amen. Well, again, thank you for uh, connecting with us and participating today. Uh, if you're online, or even if you're here and you haven't joined the uh, our group, the Champions of Hope, our Facebook group, it's on our church, Bay City Wesleyan Church Facebook page, please feel free to do that. And you will receive some unique content, um, opportunities to connect with others who are in the, on the mission of infusing people with the hope of Jesus. I want to remind you, Jesus sends us to follow him and to go with him to give our lives for the world, for those who don't know him yet. Introducing others to the Holy Spirit's powerful love and will always involve weeping and wrestling and struggle just like it did for Jesus. But that's what he means when he says to us, pick up your cross daily and follow me. So, you are sent to join Jesus as he invites people into his kingdom family. Go in the power of his Holy Spirit and join him. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat>